Directing Shakespeare Symposium, Shakespeare's Theatre. On April 28, 2001, Michael Lupu, the senior dramaturg at the Guthrie Theatre, discussed the physical elements of Shakespeare's original productions. Hello, I'm SDC Director Walter Bobby, and you are listening to Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the American Theatre Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast. Thank you again for coming today. We have uh, an exceptional day planned for you, some incredible artists. And first up is a gentleman I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to for the last couple of weeks. One of the nicest guys I've met over the phone and now today in person. And one of the country's absolute premier dramaturgs, uh, Michael Lupu, who has worked all over the country, is resident at the Guthrie, and just a font of knowledge, which he will now impart partially on you today. This first section, session is going to be a brief session, just sort of to set up the Winter's Tale, set up Shakespeare's Theater, nothing fancy, no big deal. And then we're going to go right into, um, I'll introduce, and we're going to go right into uh, What's It All About, Lily Act One. So without further ado, um, it gives me great pleasure uh, to introduce to you today, Mr. Michael Lupu. Somewhere Shakespeare talk about, talks about that old common arbitrator time. Uh, I knew it was very short. I was told Broadway at 26, and I walked all the way. Finally, when I, somebody told me that they know there seems to be a theater in that side. Provincialism of Minnesota makes me do that. <laughs> so we have less time, so the thing will be even briefer. I was also told that some of the young directors here are intimidated by Shakespeare. So that I'm in good company. You should be intimidated by Shakespeare, but probably in a different meaning than what I was told. It is daunting. And uh, I truly don't care about his life and circumstances. I care about what we have on the page. And sometimes this is sufficiently intimidating and confusing. Now, probably what I'm going to say is well known to everybody because it would be Shakespeare 101. But I didn't know what to say, and I have not passed 6101 anyhow. Uh, as you probably know, certainly you know, there was no TV then. <laughs> they didn't have anything but a variety, a British variety, in my way to describe it, a British variety of comedia. Troops of actors, putting the boards, empty space, as Peter Brook would love it, and perform. Uh, daytime. Very close to the Red District. So after the performance, people could continue their entertainment in pubs in the Red District. There were a number of performances at the court in Shakespeare time, so his company from 1592 on was first called Chamberlain's man, and later on when James succeeded to Elizabeth, they became the king's man. 
when the stable comes to this late part of Shakespeare's life, it is said by experts that it might be his last play except for the Tempest. I don't know. And I really don't think it matters. Because uh, no matter how detailed and thorough the research might be, so we know everything that is to be known about the period and the location and the fact that they moved to the from the after the globe was burned, they moved to the Black Friars and Black Friars had artificial lighting, which some scholars say that it accounts for the changes in Shakespeare's writing. Because now they had electricity, you know, and spots on the actors. <laughs> I don't know. I know that when we, my stubborn opinion is that if you look at a text by Shakespeare, the best choice is to look at it as if it just happened to arrive with a mail from an unknown player. With the difference that Shakespeare made. Shakespeare made. You also probably know that Shakespeare's <coughs> verse is matching incredibly well the way, I don't know, the way the English language in prose works in terms of the rhythm. So this blank verse that Shakespeare has fits perfectly the delivery of any speech, any line. And as you also know, when it is not in verse, the prose is usually assigned to clowns, peasants, shepherds and shepherdesses, etc. It's also interesting that uh, at the time Shakespeare, I presume, I attribute his intention to him, was attempting to escape the constraints of the pastoral genre, as a Sydney. However, he had to include it as often as possible so he would be patted on the shoulder by the critics or I don't know, by the by the MCs of his time who would have the company produce his plays. <coughs> as little as Shakespeare was concerned with publishing his scripts, uh, he was quite concerned with the language and what was spoken. It's funny, we do now so often virtually every theater has a version of the famous phrase from the page to the stage. And then we go and explain to anyone who needs explanation how we take words which are printed or written and we end up with actors on their feet performing within a certain setting as directed by directors. It looks to me as if in Shakespeare's time it was the other way around. It was from the stage to the page. And eventually some of his places, you know, were published individually during his lifetimes in quartos but the winter stale we are going to deal with is one of the 18 plays which were published for the first time after his death in 16, what is it, 1623? I don't know. After his death. So the conditions of the space in which they performed looked like a court, like a courtyard. They were performing in courtyards of kids. Ming Chua Lee made the mistake to tell me 
if you want me, I can draw you that. So I want actually to draw a little, a little bit of the contour. Later. Later? No, now. Please, please. So anyone who has not seen ever the Swan or the Globe or have not visited London and, or have not seen Chichester Festival or the Guthrie or Stratford Festival in Canada will know. Please, let's do that. You want me to do it now? Yes. <laughs> Please. I mean, it's my bestest escape. Yeah. You will regret it because the minute I get started, you will never get in. I will not regret it. I will not regret it. I will be happy. This is all my fault. <laughs> Before you draw, let me say yeah. something else. Theseus in Midsummer Night, please. Talking about the poet, and I prefer to think he was talking about theater artists and directors. Talks about the fact that the poet, let me quote it, the poet's pen turns them to shapes and gives to every nothing a local habitation and a name. And that's theater. I know very few better definitions of what theater is to give a local habitation and a name to every nothing. All right. Uh, the reason I thought it's worthwhile if we're talking about Shakespeare to get to know what kind of theater he is writing. Now, I am not a historian and probably make all kinds of mistakes, so uh, you've got to take me to the brain of song. Uh, there are, if you talk about theater, there are essentially two types of theater. Of course, there are others, but mainly there are two types. One is the audience and the performers are under one roof. Then you have theater when audience and performers are in two rooms, two different spaces. So if you go to Broadway, the audience are sitting in one room, seeing the action through an opening, which is in another room. Then you have theater like this, where you guys and Papa Lupu and I are in the same room. That aesthetically is very, very, very different. It is so different in the sense that if you're in two rooms, the tendency is to create an illusion, a picture to describe, to illustrate the scene. But if you're in one room, illusionistic approach is not possible. You can put a sky here, but the top of the sky is lighting its room. Therefore, you're presenting the sky rather than you're trying to create as realistically as possible as if it's an endless time. And that, I think, is very, very important because Shakespeare wrote for a theater that his audience and the performers are under one roof, and namely the sky, even though the stage is covered a little bit with the ceiling. But nevertheless, it is one room. Hence, Shakespeare's play, you cannot illustrate it because it is an architecture that's permanent. And 
therefore, he tells you everything in this text. Now, okay. So now I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, but so be it. Okay, now, so now, all of you, if you now go to London and they uh, have a creation of the globe, and to all our shops, that doesn't look like what we thought the globe looked like. And so now, all bets are off. And I'm still going by the fact that as if we don't have a globe in London, and we're guessing it. Because it turned out the theater is much bigger than we had anticipated. We're talking about intimacy, we're talking so forth, and here is this huge stage, so I'm not going to go <laughs> Okay, that is essentially the building. I'm showing the ground plan. And here is the stage. And there is this little ceiling going across and it's supported by two posts. And so far so good, right? All of you can see and it's easily clear. So now, here are the groundlings. Making a lot of noises. <laughs> And recently I heard that uh, the floor of the theater is covered with uh, peanut shells. Uh, like you go into one of those Irish bars. You know? and, and the reason is, it seems that uh, there are no uh, uh, toilet facilities. So while the play is going on, people just pee as they please, they just can't and, and so therefore, there are all these pizza shells. And then, uh, and they're all standing, and then uh, the aristocrat or the wealthier guys, they're all here. And here are the entrance, above, below, and here is the performance. Now, right away, by looking at it, you realize that the center of the focus is the actor. And another thing is, and I, again, I can be wrong, go and see if you can find a Shakespeare play that has simultaneous scenes. Like that of the salesman, Woody and Linda is in the bedroom. Here and Bit and Happy is in the bedroom upstairs. And Happy again. I don't think we'll find it. And that's because it is one space. And therefore all the action is consecutive. And there it is. No spectacle. There's track, there's a tower here, things can come down, things can come up, thunder, lightning, but no picture. No picture. Therefore, he tells you everything, and all the action just come in and go out, but this is the focus. 
understand all the important things that happen here, the ultimate thing that's right here. It doesn't happen here, it doesn't happen here, it is right here. And I thought it was worthwhile just as, as the beginning thing to put this play in a physical context so that when you start dealing with it, that you don't try to deal with it as if you are doing Phantom of the Opera or Sunset Boulevard. A lot of scenery that you have to change, a lot of me uh, mechanism and so forth. It is all about people. And this is the political joke. This is a theater about actors and the event. No spectacle. I think that's all I want to say. Okay. I want to conclude that with something that I should have said first. Thank you very much. There is a new edition of uh, Shakespeare's Complete Works. It's I wrote it down, I think it's over 3,000 pages. It's the three versions of King Lee. And it allows you to edit your own King Lee. And um, it has a piece there by Andrew Gurr, G-U-R-R, about London theater in Shakespeare's time. And I recommend not, the whole edition is quite interesting, but if you read this, some 30 pages, <coughs> you will know all you need to know about Shakespeare's widow, and I want to conclude with that. Uh, Yancourt has a wonderful little story called Shakespeare's widow, and it tells about a very scholarly, highly educated scientist in studying Shakespeare. American Shakespeare Association, I think it was, or the International Shakespeare Association, meeting in Washington, D.C. several years back, and Borges, the uh, Argentinian writer, who was blind at the time, became blind in the he was the keynote speaker. You know the story? No. And he... You don't know? Okay. So he, he was came on stage to speak about Shakespeare's widow. And the mic was placed in the wrong spot. And there were some problems. So the audience could only hear his voice saying Shakespeare from time to time. And again, Shakespeare. And Shakespeare. And Shakespeare. And Jan Carl concludes that that's what Borges told them about, he told them about Shakespeare's widow. So we are going to continue to try to do that during the day. I think the panel is supposed to come. If you want to talk me to talk more, I can talk to you about how intimidated I am by Shakespeare, because I don't know the language you know, and I'm so happy that you are intimidated by it. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Set change. Thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. 
This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographer Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members.